The following sermon was preached at Redeeming Grace Fellowship. For more information about RGF, please visit our website at www.rgf.church. Please feel free to make copies of this sermon or distribute to friends and family. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. morning church I first want to say uh, thank you to the elders for the opportunity that I had to proclaim the word uh, I know it's not a matter to be taken lightly and uh, it's important and uh, I pray that the Lord may be glorified uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer that he may help us today today thank you Lord for all that you have done Lord we thank you for for life itself Lord, we know that you are the giver of life and you can also take it. And it has pleased you to bring us all here today. Lord, we can do nothing apart from your grace. We can do nothing apart from the person of Jesus Christ. And I ask that you help us in this moment to hear your word and to help me proclaim your word. That I may do it fearfully and with wisdom. And that you may just open the ears of those who who are here and that they may be blessed by it, Lord. I thank you so much for all that you do, and I pray that you help me, that you may strengthen me in this moment, and that your word may go forth, for your word does not ever return void. In your name we pray. Amen. So I don't know if you've ever watched WWE before, but uh, it's full of people just wrestling and fighting with one another. Uh, there's this one match in particular that catches my attention, and it was November 10th of 2008. It was a no disqualification match, meaning that anything goes. You can hit the person with a chair. You could probably have uh, someone else come in and jump in and fight with you. You can be out of the ring and you won't be counted out. Uh, but what catches my attention most about uh, this match were the two contenders. And these two contenders were Kane and Rey Mysterio. So I don't know if you, if you know much about these two people. But let me just explain these two people so you can kind of visualize them. So Kane is a white male. He's seven feet tall. And he weighs about 320 pounds. Eri Mysterio is a Mexican male. He's five feet and six inches tall. And he weighs 175 pounds. And when you look at this, it's definitely an unequal match. And um, one guy is three times the size of the other. And, Ray, and as, as the fight is going on, you just see them hitting each other. Uh, Rey Mysterio is doing flips, uh, trying to use his agility against Kane since he's a bigger uh, person. And they fight for about nine minutes. And it, it was an intense, ma- an intense match. And I don't know if you've ever been in a fight before, but, you know, you're pretty wiped out after a few seconds. I mean, before I was saved, I got into a lot of fights. But, um, and then, but finally... After, after a certain amount of time, after those nine minutes, Rey Mysterio was able to pin down Kane, and he actually ends up winning, meaning that the, the smaller guy won, the guy that people didn't think would win, actually won. And this actually brings us to today's chapter, which has to do with the wrestling match. We come to a place where Jacob will have to confront Esau after many years. 
Jacob's going back to Canaan and has to go through, uh, through Esau. And we will see many actions that he takes. But we will also see a different side of Jacob. One that is not deceitful. One does not feel entitled to a blessing. And one that becomes dependent upon God's grace. But we will also see an encounter Jacob has with a man. And he wrestles with a man all night. And we will see who this man is and what this signifies. But before we get into the text today, I just want to get a, a few background information if you haven't been here for the past few weeks. Um, so in order to understand today's text, we actually have to draw an arc to an earlier passage, which is Genesis 27. And this is where Jacob steals Esau's blessing. It is when Jacob disguises himself as Esau. His mother, Rebecca overhears Isaac telling Esau to prepare him food so that Isaac may bless Esau. And quickly, Rebecca tells Jacob to bring her two goats to prepare food. Since Esau was a, was a hairy man, Jacob put, puts on the skin of the goats and brings the food to trick his father Isaac into thinking he is Esau. Isaac then gives, the bless, then gives Jacob the blessing, and Jacob sins against Isaac and Esau by deceiving both of them. And Jacob deceitfully lies to Isaac and steals from his brother. And we can read from Genesis 27:41, and it says, Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father has blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning of my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Now we see here that Esau hated Jacob with a passion to the point that he wanted to kill his own brother. And this is why Jacob gets away, gets, gets sent away to Laban to seek refuge from his brother's fury. Now last week, Pastor Steve preached on Genesis 31. Uh, it was Jacob's exodus from Padam Aram. So Jacob leaves Laban. He, he is finally able to leave the man that oppressed him and conned him for so many years. And we have seen the sovereignty of God in Jacob's life. Through the many things that happen, happen in his life, we see God's hand at work. Now, even though Jacob is leaving Laban and Padam Aram, he is about to confront a different problem. He is now going to confront Esau. And 20 years after Jacob flees from him, he now has to confront him. Now, I can imagine Jacob having mixed feelings. I can imagine he, he, he feels joyous because he's leaving Laban. He's leaving a man that oppressed him for so many years. But he also probably has a feeling of sadness and anxiety because he knows now he has to confront this sin that happened so many years ago. So today, this is what we will be focusing on, the aspect of what Jacob happens. We'll go on to point one, which is Jacob repents. So one of the first things we see in the chapter is Jacob sending messengers to Esau um, to tell him what happened as, as he is coming back through the land. But look at the language that Jacob tells his messengers to use. He says, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau. And by using the word Lord, he's acknowledging his respect and reverence towards Esau. And he says, Thus says your servant Jacob. He acknowledges that he is less than Esau by calling himself Esau's servant. This is a very different attitude than what we see in Genesis 27. He tells the messengers to tell Esau he has oxen, uh, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. And then he says, so that I may find favor in your sight. See, his words hint at his fearfulness and his guilty conscience for what he has done against Esau. And there's a part of him that is wondering, has Esau forgiven me during these 20 years? Jacob is indeed trying to gain his favor and is hoping Esau will forgive him in the span of the 20 years. He tells Esau all the things that he has done 
I have sojourned with Laban. I have all these flocks. I have all these animals. And he hopes that by telling Esau these things, that Esau will not see him as a vagabond, but someone who has changed in the many years. Then Jacob's messengers return and say, Esau is coming to meet you with 400 men. Now this response is odd because the messengers don't, don't, don't say whether Esau's intentions are good or bad. But this was stunning news for Jacob. Immediately he becomes afraid and distressed. And I can imagine his thoughts, well, maybe he isn't angry because if he was, why didn't he kill my messengers? Or maybe he, he doesn't care if they tell me because he has enough manpower to take us all out. So hundreds of thoughts are probably running through Jacob's mind. Now let me ask you a question. How many times do, not, do we not find ourselves like Jacob? Now I'm not saying we can put ourselves into the text. But what I am asking is how many times do we become afraid and distressed with the tribulations, trials and tribulations that go on in our lives? In verse 1 it says, Angels came and met, and met Jacob. And, the, and, and this meeting signifies God's protection over Jacob and his belongings. But Jacob quickly seems to forget God's protection, his, God's promises of protection over his life. And my brothers and sisters, there's, there's not one thing that God has not seen in our lives. And there's more that he hasn't even ordained the things that have, have happened in our lives. God is not a liar. Gordon Wenham says in one of his commentaries, many are the trials of the righteous in this world, and sometimes the end of one is the beginning of another. First Laban and now Esau. Trials and tribulations will come and will never stop coming. Of course, we will have many different seasons in our lives, seasons of joy, seasons of sadness and victory, but trials and tribulations will come. When one is over, another will begin, and many will probably occur at the same time. We are not promised health, wealth, but we are promised comfort and strength from the Lord. Romans 8.18 says, For I consider the present sufferings uh, of this time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. We need a paradigm shift in our lives. False doctrine and the prosperity gospel have taught people that this life will be a walk in a garden full of beautiful flowers. But when the storms of life come, they fall away so quickly. And why is this? Is because they have not been founded on the solid rock, Jesus Christ. We ought to learn that the trials and tribulations are ways where God sanctifies his people. When God teaches his, his people to trust in him, and to be satisfied not in the prosperity of this temporal life, but on the eternal promises of God that we surely will abide with him forever. When fear and anxiety and distress arrive at the doors of our lives, we are to cling to Christ, to count all things as loss, to know that to live is Christ and to die is gain, as Philippians 1.21 says. Stephen Sharnock, one of the Puritans, says, God knows all other things, whether they be possible, past, present or future, whether they be things that he can do but will never do, or whether they be things that he has done but are not now, things that are now in being or things that are not now existing, that lie in the womb of their proper and immediate causes. If his understanding be infinite, he then knows all things whatsoever can be known. Else his understanding would have bounds, and what hath limits is not infinite but finite. Church, we serve an infinite God. We serve a God that, that does know what will happen the day of tomorrow. We serve the God who created all things and knows 
all things. The God who reigns forever and ever. So instead of fear, that should bring comfort to us. We see another thing that happens in in Jacob in Jacob when when he in this chapter, and besides Jacob being fearful and anxious, we see a difference in him than in Genesis twenty seven. Remember how entitled Jacob felt on receiving Isaac's blessing? He steals he saw his blessing by deceiving Isaac. Jacob does not bother waiting waiting on God's timing. He doesn't trust in God, so he takes matters into his own hands. But let us look at verse nine of our present chapter. And it says, And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all deeds of steadfast love and of all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I have crossed this Jordan. Now I have become two camps. You see, a spiritual transformation has taken place in Jacob. Let's look at his life just to see how, how, how that change has occurred. He, he, he comes out of the womb holding on to Esau's heel, Genesis 25, verse 26. Then Jacob persuades his brother into selling his birthright, Genesis 25, verses 29 to 34. And then he puts on the skins of the goats and brings food to, his, to Isaac and deceitfully fools Isaac and steals from his brother. He then is exiled from the land and goes to Laban. And during his time with Laban, we can see the way, the way God molds Jacob. He becomes a hardworking man and an honest man. Now he is submitting to Esau and recognizes his unworthiness before God. God has worked in the life of Jacob through those 20 years. Jacob, Jacob knows that he is not worthy, nor does he deserve God's favor upon his life. That feeling of entitlement has gone, and now he submits to God and to Esau. And he no, he no longer thinks more of himself, but desires to make peace with his brother. And Jacob prospered there, but he knows and he remembers that there was, there with, uh, he went there with nothing, and knows very well it was God's hand at work that caused him to prosper. Jacob cannot take the credit for anything he has, and he knows the reason he is still alive is because God has willed it. Those years seeing God's hand at work in his life, he comes to know that he can only be dependent upon the grace of God. We should keep this in mind. God's mercy and kindness towards his people should lead us to humble ourselves. Knowing that all that we have has not come from ourselves, but from God. Our salvation, uh, our salvation um, should cause us to be in awe of Christ. Because if left to our own natural eyes, we will still be blinded. That is why evangelism should lead us to humble ourselves. Because when, when we reject the gospel, we cannot, when people reject the gospel, we cannot say we were any different than they were. Sometimes in life we feel so entitled to things. We feel as if we should be served first, that our desires should go first. And a few years ago, I used to work for Lexus as a valet and a technician. And uh, even though I couldn't afford their cars, it was nice driving them around. Um, but I remember one day, it was, it was a really busy morning, and there was cars in the driveway, and there was cars all the way in the back where, where they get washed. And the last lady who pulls up, I go up to her window, and I said, Hello, are you here for service? 
She says, no, I just want a car wash. And I say, okay, that's fine, man. We will get it done, but it will take about 25 to 30 minutes. And she looks at me, and she says, how dare you guys offer me a free car wash and make me wait that long? You know, I kind of like my job, so I didn't want to, like, <laughs> say anything back. But it's a lot of the times where this makes me think, how many times do we not walk around like that? How many times do we not walk around feeling entitled to things because we think of ourselves more than we ought? Wanting, wanting everything to be so convenient to us. Wanting to be served with the best around because we think we deserve it. The way we talk to waiters or the way we, we talk to people who serve us at the dealership or the, way our, or the way we talk to people who take our orders can tell a lot about what we think of ourselves. This is not a godly perspective to have. We are called to serve ourselves and be humble. Jacob says, I am not, the, I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. And when we see God's steadfast love and faithfulness towards us that we don't deserve, that should motivate us to, be, to love and be faithful to the brethren. We are called to imitate Christ. And Christ brought himself low. He became man and sacrificed his own life. He went to the lowest form, leaving glory behind, and he humbled himself. Are we any greater than Christ to not humble ourselves? I say this with care and with love because I had to fight against this constantly. And we, we see another thing that, that Jacob does. After Jacob prays, it seems to be around nighttime when he does something interesting. He takes herds of the flock to give to Esau. And if we read in verse 13, it says, So he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, took a present for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and 30 and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. And if we count all of these animals up, they equal to 550 animals altogether. And we can see through this text just how much the Lord had truly blessed Jacob. And we can understand uh, the prayer beforehand when he says, only with the staff I have crossed this Jordan and have become two camps. Now it is uncertain to know what this actually symbolizes. Sending a present to a great man before meeting him was a courtesy in the ancient Orient. So some, some, some think that this was a gesture to declare himself Esau's vassal. Others think that he was returning the blessing that he stole from Esau. But there's one thing that we do have clear, that Jacob is trying to mollify Esau. In verse 20 it says, For he thought, speaking of Jacob, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face, and perhaps he will accept me. Jacob is painfully aware that he has sinned against his brother. So he is trying to make atonement for his sins. He is trying to earn the favor of Esau, hopefully awaiting that his gifts may appease the wrath of Esau had against him. This is Jacob trying to atone for the sins he committed against a mortal man. Now think about this. How can a man atone for his sin when he has sinned against an eternal God? How can a simple mortal ever pay full restitution for a sin against the creator of the universe? Think about how scared and worried and anxious and fearful Jacob was because he sinned against a man. Now imagine sinning against someone like this, and we could read Matthew 10:28. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy body 
both soul and body in hell. God can destroy our bodies and soul by casting us into the eternal fire. How can we atone for our sin against someone so powerful and mighty? The answer to this question is that there is no way for us to atone for our own, our own sin. There's nothing that we can do to gain favor. There's no amount of giftings that we can give to appease God's wrath. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. This is, in fact, every man in his natural condition. Even me- every man is born as a sinner and an enemy of God. So no human being can ever atone for his own sin. So if we can't, then who can? We can go to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Christ is the only one who lived a life in full, in full obedience to the law, fulfilling it wholly. He is driven to the cross and dangling on that cross. He is fully taking the wrath of God upon his life. He gave up his life, but not only that, Christ raises, rises from the grave. He puts down his life, but he also takes it back. He promises life to all those, to all those uh, who come to him. This is what God does in saving someone. Picture our bodies at the bottom of the ocean. We are completely dead. We have drowned. There is no life in us. We cannot reach and grab a life preserver. There is no lifeline in us anymore. But what God does is that he powerfully reaches his hand to the bottom of the ocean. He pulls our corpses out. And then what he does is that he breathes life into us. He brings someone who is dead to life. That's what happens when we come to Christ. He is the lamb that was driven to the tree. And he is the one who spilled his blood to appease God's wrath for those who react to the message of the gospel by turning away and repenting, turning away from their sinful ways, repenting of their sins, and turning to faith in Christ Jesus. And a fourth thing that that we see that, that Jacob does the same night is that the same night he decides to send the animals to Esau, he has his family cross, cross the ford of the Jabbok, one of the rivers that was besides the land that they were traveling. We could read in verse 22. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them away across the stream, everything else that he had. So what's going on here? Why did Jacob rise in the middle of the night to cross the river? Wouldn't it be more sensible to do it by day? And why was Jacob left alone? We can conclude that Jacob was so anxious and afraid that he could not sleep. He is so afraid of Esau, he becomes desperate for comfort. Through the many trials and tribulations of life, we become anxious, afraid, and desperate. And these are the moments we are to turn to God. Our Father wants us to seek Him out because He is the only one who can provide assurance. You see, the many times, many times in life we just like to coast. We don't really like to do much in our walk with Christ. We don't put any effort into our spiritual lives. We say that we, we say that we know Christ and that we love Him. But how desperately are we truly clinging to Him? How much are you truly longing to know Christ? How much are you longing to drink from the eternal fountain? How much are you longing to meditate and think of the gracious and tender mercies of Christ? Are you truly longing to know him? If you could just meditate on that for a moment. 
Sometimes it seems like we have lost a sense of thirst and hunger to know God. Our lives should be consumed with a passionate passionate and zealous desire to know Christ more every day. We are to long and to be satisfied in Christ alone. All other things will pass away, but we will abide in Christ forever if you have trusted in him. There's this one book that I have been reading, which is called Knowing Christ by Mark Jones. And the first chapter alone really challenged me. And it might, this might seem so simple to some, but we were, uh, because um, it challenged me because in the first chapter, all he was talking about was the person of Christ. And to some, it might be so simple. But when we look at it, we really know Christ very little. When we, when we look at Scripture, all is about him. He's so vast. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the Lord of hosts. He is the light of the world. He is the good shepherd. He is the resurrection and the life, the way and the truth and the life. He is the true vine. He is the I am. And when we study all all these things about Christ in detail, we will never, never stop learning about Christ. We will never stop learning about his person and who he is. And we will be amazed of how truly little we know him. This is why Spurgeon so truthfully says, I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. Jacob here becomes so desperate, he loses sleep and desires to be alone. Why? Because he wants to call out to God. He knows that the only thing there is to do is to cling so desperately to him. Only by his grace can we walk victoriously towards the crown of heaven. John Piper's book, 21 Sovereign, uh, Servants of Sovereign Joy, Piper quotes Augustine, and he says the whole life of a good Christian is a holy desire. And then Piper goes on to say about this quote, in other words, the key to Christian living is a thirst and a hunger for God. And one of the main reasons people do not understand or experience the sovereignty of grace and the way it works through the awakening of sovereign joy is that their hunger and thirst for God is so small. The desperation to be ravished for the sake of worship and holiness is unintelligible. And maybe you feel desperate as Jacob felt. Let us take this example and do the same. Run to Christ and cling to him. For even in that, it is the Holy Spirit empowering us to cling to Christ. Sinners, run to Christ, for only through him can you be saved from the wrath of God. Now today we will not be seeing Esau and Jacob meeting face to face. That will be next week's sermon. But we will look at this encounter Jacob has. Here we come to our second point. Jacob is attacked. And all the verse prior have been leading and building up to this very moment, this climactic scene where Jacob encounters God. So as Jacob is left alone, a man comes and wrestles with him until the breaking of day. And verse 24 says, And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Yes, this man comes out of nowhere and attacks Jacob. So who is this man? When I first started, started studying this chapter, I thought this encounter was merely a theophany. And a theophany simply means a visible or tangible manifestation of God. 
These theophanies are instances of God's self-revelation where he manifests, manifests himself to humans. Examples are the burning bush, a cloud of fire, when Isaiah sees the glory of God. But as I studied further and looked at the whole scope of Scripture, I certainly think that we are looking at a Christophany. And a Christophany is a pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus Christ. So how do we come to the conclusion that this is a Christophany? Let us first go to Hosea chapter 12, verses 2 to 6. And it says, The Lord has an indictment against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. He will punish Jacob according to his ways. He will repay him according to his deeds. In the womb he took his brother by the heel, and in his man he strove, manhood he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel, and there God spoke with us. The Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial name. So you, by the help of your God, return, hold fast to love and justice, and wait continually for your God. Hosea is telling us indeed that Jacob wrestled with God, and indeed this was a manifestation of God. This is us letting Scripture interpret Scripture. The second reason we see from the same text that this man was supernatural and was from God is that with one touch, he dislocated Jacob's hip socket. And you best believe if someone touches you once and your hip becomes dislocated, this, is, this man is not just merely human. It's possible that Jacob did not know this man was supernatural, but when the man touched Jacob's hip socket and dislocated it, Jacob must have realized he was wrestling with a supernatural being. And Jacob in one moment becomes disabled. A third reason is that Jacob himself says, For I have seen God face to face. Jacob is telling us, I have fought with God. I have been with God. And now how do we relate this to this to being a pre-incarnate manifestation of Christ? Like I said before, Scripture interprets Scripture. Let's take a look at John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all the things were, through him, were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. So what do these verses remind you of? These verses are a direct parallel to Genesis chapter 1, where it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is the Apostle John telling us, the people, uh, telling the people, Christ has always been there since the beginning. He has always existed. And if we go to Colossians 1 chapter 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. See, Paul is stating Christ has always existed. And if we go to Hebrews 1, it says, Long ago and many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. You see, Christ has always existed. He is not a new creation. He has always, he has always been with the Father. And since he, is, he and the Father are one, I do believe this is a pre-incarnate manifestation of Christ pointing to the future Christ 
who will dwell in the flesh and take upon him the sins of his people. And now we come to the point, why does this happen? What is the point of this wrestling match? What we see, what we are seeing is a picture of Jacob's sanctification. After this man dislocated Jacob's hip socket by only touching it, Jacob is injured. He can wrestle no longer. And all he can do is hold on. This Christophany tells Jacob, let me go, giving us the fact that Jacob is only holding on. He could have easily crushed Jacob and gotten away from him, but instead he shows restraint towards Jacob. And Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now, if we look at the context of Hosea, it says he wept and saw favor from the Lord. We can see that Jacob is desperately holding on. And through his past, Jacob relied on his cleverness to get what he wanted. But now he has no other choice but to trust in God's and his blessing. His strength was reduced to only being able to hold on to the Lord with everything he had. He couldn't fight anymore. But this is not a bad place to be. Jacob realizes something, that he needs to be freed from self-will and self-reliance. He knows that he needs to be dependent upon God's grace. Jacob thought that the real enemy was on the outside, which was Esau, but in reality, his enemy was his own carnal flesh that was not trusting in God. We see how God uses trials and tribulations to sanctify his people. It is in those moments we realize we can do nothing upon our own strength, but only by the grace of God. Matthew Henry says, Nothing requires more vigorous and unceasing exertion than wrestling. It is an emblem of the true spirit of faith and prayer. We are to wrestle as Jacob did in faith and prayer. The purpose of a Christian is to be consistently transformed into the image of Christ. We cannot change ourselves. It is the work of the Spirit in us. And that should be our prayer, that the Spirit move, to, move us to seek out the Lord to be transformed daily into His image. And we can come to, to the, the third thing that happens. This, this, uh, theof- this Christophany changes Jacob's name to Israel. Now this man asks Jacob for his name, and Jacob responds and tells the man his name. Now as soon as, as he says, my name is Jacob, all the baggage that comes with that name comes forth. All that he has done is brought forth in front of his face. If we look at Genesis 27, 35 to 36, but he said, Isaac speaking right now, your brother came deceitfully and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me two times. The deceiver, the liar, the cheater, the exile, the sinner, all of it is brought forth when Jacob states his name. But the Christophany then changes his name to Israel, the name of God's covenant people. He is given a new identity. He is God's son. But let's look a little closer. He is radically changing Jacob in this moment. The deceiver is no longer. Do you see? God is indeed preaching the gospel to Jacob. And how so? When we come before God and state our names, all that comes up is that we are sinners. But when we look at Christ, when we trust in Christ, we, come, we become adopted sons of God. He changes our identity. We are no longer condemned, but set free from the wrath of Christ. We become a new creature. 
And if we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And only through Christ can this happen. Now, in order to, to conclude, there's one more thing that we need to look at in the sermon, which is verse 30. So Jacob called the name of the, of the place Peniel, saying, I have seen God face to face. And yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Now let me ask you, are you limping? Do you see your need for God? If, if you only touch your Bible on Sundays, then I think you have forgotten your need for God. If you don't pray before eating, I think you have forgotten your need for God. If you forget to thank him for life itself, I think you have forgotten your need for him. Some say that Christianity is just a crutch. People just need needed to believe in something. And I say that it is a crutch because we cannot depend on ourselves for anything. We can only depend upon the grace, upon God and his grace. So let us be like Jacob and depend upon God's grace because just like we were saying before, Christ will hold us fast. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for this day that you have given us. And I thank you for the proclamation of your word. Lord, even though I am fallible, your word is not fallible. Your word does not return void. And I pray that it may sink deep into the hearts of the hearers, into my heart as well, and that we can be transformed into your image daily. I pray that we may always be dependent upon your grace, O God because there's nothing that we can do by our own ways, by our our own means. And I pray that you help us to cling so desperately to you, that you may give us a passion and zeal to seek you out daily, and that we may come to know you more, O Christ, and that we may come to, to you for comfort and for strength when we are faced with the tribulations in life. In your name we pray. Amen.